All right, what's going on? Your host, David Tachinsky, back at it with uh, Jordan Gross, who has done a lot of really cool stuff in the past. Um, too much to, to mention almost. Um, studied abroad in, uh, in London, if I read that correctly. Went to Northwestern um, University, is an executive coach at Nine Living and a leadership coach and does some uh, stuff at Next Gen Summit. So uh, welcome, Jordan. What's up, David? Thank you for having me on. This is going to be fun. Um, I studied abroad in London. I also studied abroad in Prague. And nice. uh, yeah, so it, and that's cloud nine living. So gotcha. yeah, that's the whole component of living life on cloud nine. That's where the expression came from. And that's what I'm trying to help other people pursue now as well. So uh, excited to chat and hopefully give your audience a little value as well. Cool. So let's start from the beginning. Um, yeah. What made you want to go to Northwestern? Because I know you're from New York uh, originally, right? Yeah. And for for those of you that might not know, Northwestern is a sub in, is in a suburb near Chicago. Um, so what made you pick yeah. that school and, and what subject did you major in? Nice. Love that question. So I honestly was a guy who I wasn't thinking about school in terms of academics. I wasn't thinking about really anything in high school. And like you, David, I, I was a soccer player. And basically my life was get good grades and play soccer. And then my dream was play soccer in college, play professionally. Um, that was always it for me. And I didn't really even consider what schools I was going to go to. I kind of just picked the best soccer schools at the time. So it was like your Dukes of the world, UVAs. Um, I don't know, a couple of the Ivy League schools because I, like I, I mentioned I was a solid student. Um, so that's really all I had in my mind, right? And Northwestern was an afterthought, honestly. It was like maybe like school number 22 out of 25 I wrote on a list. And uh, the story goes as this. Uh, I was always like the next guy, right? And like you mentioned and we were chatting earlier, you know, we went to those college ID camps and I would always make it to the conversation with the coach where it'd be me and the guy who they ended up taking on the team. And they'd tell me, you know, if you get into the school, you can come in as a walk on. And I kept hearing that over and over and over again. So I realized that unfortunately my dream of playing soccer in college wasn't going to work out the way that I wanted it to. I would have to find a third door. So I ended up getting into Northwestern. I applied early decision. I get to combine athletics and academics. So sure, I'll apply early. Fortunately enough, I ended up getting in early. But uh, that soccer dream at that time was not going to end, right? So I just fully immersed myself in the training world. And I probably practiced every single day until I had the opportunity to get a tryout with the team. Um, I was in touch with the coach. I was in touch with different players. And basically I used my relationship and my networking skills at that age to get my foot in the door. So ultimately had a tryout, didn't make the team, but I still said, you know, this is the school for me. I'm going to need to figure out life without soccer. And I think Northwestern is a great place to do that. So that's, that's why I ended up at Northwestern. And then to answer your second question again, like I was not thinking about, <laughs> subjects. I was the guy who I heard, you don't need to figure out 
what you're doing with your life just yet. So, you know, I kind of went in undecided and I made my choices based on societal expectations and what the people around me were telling me to do or telling me what I should be doing, right? So, you know, I joined a fraternity and those guys were doing investment banking and consulting. So I figured, hey, if that's going to lead me down a path that these guys are taking to a good, stable life, then I should study economics. So that was my major. And uh, yeah, that, that was the, the route that I chose. And looking back, I wish that I would have had more of a, an insight that, sure, you don't need to know exactly what you're doing when you go to college, but it is the right time to start figuring out what you think you should be doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. I would definitely agree with that. So, I mean, to, that's not a bad choice to uh, figure out your life. That's like such a beautiful yeah. campus and it's like yeah. um, really good school. Yeah. Anyways. So how did, um, just as kind of a side note, cause I know for me personally, mm-hmm. that experience of trying to get your foot in the door with college coaches and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, was it kind of carries over to the business stuff where I'm just trying to get my foot in the door with that email or that call or whatever. So how did that kind of affect your situation now? Yeah. So, so like I said, man, I was always fortunate enough and blessed enough and I'm so grateful to have had a, a childhood that was filled with great friendships and great family and great people around me. And, you know, I was an athlete and I got good grades and I was always sort of an insider. Right. And up until that point where I didn't get what I wanted in going to school to play soccer, I had never really faced a tremendous amount of rejection or adversity, right? So this was my opportunity to go into a situation and say, hey, I can't go to 25 colleges, but I still need to get in front of 25 colleges, reach out to them, be persistent, add value to what they're doing, and then ultimately have this mindset of, if it doesn't work out, I can only push forward. I can't change what's not in my control, right? So that was my first, that was my first experience with uh, basically selling myself, which is something that you and I do as entrepreneurs with our own thing, with our own ideas, with our own brands every single day. Mm-hmm. So I think to that experience a lot of putting myself out there to the best of my ability in every single situation and just knowing that sometimes it's not going to be the right fit or sometimes it's not going to be the right time and that, you know, you can only do what you can control, right? Your work ethic, the way that you approach people, the relationships that you can make, your strategy, you can only control those factors within your control. You can't control other people. So that's what I understand and know now in my world of, you know, constant outreach and trying to put myself out there. Cool. So then after college, um, how did you kind of start to say, okay, maybe I should go in this direction. I don't like this. I do like that. What was that first kind of experience or maybe a job that you had that kind of led you down to this path? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So during college, I'll backtrack a little bit. Like I said, I was going through the motions and going through the motions during college was further advanced by getting internships, right? So I had internships in finance, I had internships in consulting, and I was exploring and I did a good job of understanding that maybe those two particular fields, investment banking or consulting, actually wasn't for me, even though that's what I was told to do. 
But there was always this voice in the back of my head that kind of said, like, do something totally different, deviate from the norm, start your own thing, right? My junior year, I got my first taste of that, where I started an Alzheimer's awareness organization. And I got to see what it's like to grow something that has an impact, grow something from the ground up, use my relationships to really guide other people and make an impact on their lives, right? So that was my first taste of that. And then after school, I actually did a master's program in management studies at Northwestern's business school. Um, So I was living in Chicago and I got pretty involved in the Chicago startup scene. So there I was kind of listening to that voice in the back of my head saying, okay, dip your feet into this world, see if you like it. I started my own company when I was at school. I experienced that. But then I sort of fell one step backward and I went into a corporate position with a restaurant group. So I explored a passion of mine something that I really thought was going to be my calling for lack of a better word in the restaurant world. Um, Those were the startup type environments that I was in. They were in the food and beverage industry and I started my own company in the food and beverage industry. And then I thought, you know, let me dive right into this world and and have this restaurant position so that I, I know the world before I want to start restaurants somewhere down the road. Right. So that's what I did. And then, I realized that uh, the corporate world was not for me because I wanted to be innovative. I wanted to try out new ideas. And the place that I was at was very steadfast in their approach. They're very traditional, almost very robotic in the way that they did things. And I'm totally humanistic in the way that I do things. So it was about seeing those differences and and being honest with myself. And also, it's going to sound so crazy, but not being afraid to quit, right? You're always told don't quit, right? Don't be a quitter. But sometimes quitting is the best possible option because when I quit, it couldn't have been a better choice, right? I quit because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. I wasn't making the impact I was supposed to be making. And quitting allowed me to reevaluate and say, what have I done in my past that is more aligned with the impact I want to make in my future? And that's when I started down this path that I'm on now. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so just out of curiosity, and this is speaking from a personal experience, because when, when I quit my day job, it was kind of the same thing where I was happy and I was feeling like I was definitely making the right decision. Yeah. Once I did quit, um, I realized I was like, oh shit, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. And I kind of started to get my teeth kicked in. So was it a similar experience for you where you kind of surprised at how hard it was or where did you hit the ground running, so to speak? Yeah. So The first thing I did after I quit was I wrote a book and I tried to create a platform based off of a book that I wrote. And yeah, absolutely. It was incredibly difficult to be out on my own and make money based on just selling me and my ideas, right? Because that's what I was doing. And the only difference I'd say between your and my story, and maybe it's because I don't know more about yours, is that I quit knowing that anything I was going to do had to be a long-term play. It had to be the long game. I, you know, I'm somebody who I don't love social media, right? So instant gratification has never really been ingrained into my mind. So I quit that job and I was listening to a lot of personal growth and development podcasts and reading a lot of self-help books. And I went into what I was going to do next with the understanding that I was going to have to deploy patience as one of my greatest attributes for whatever it was going to be. So I had to create my own micro victories, my own small wins 
uh, throughout the last year and a half that I've been on this journey. Um, but yeah, man, it is so difficult. And sometimes like, there's been two particular instances where I have said, maybe I just go back to that stable life. Maybe I interview and start getting a normal job. But the question that comes to my mind is, is that the easy way out? And at this point, at this stage of the game, it's much easier to go back and, and have stability and have all that stuff than the journey is going to be in getting to where I ultimately want to be, the influence I ultimately want to make. That's going to be the more difficult journey. And that's what's going to be so much more rewarding, which is why I'm going to continue down this path um, no matter what. Love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. Um, so, okay, you, you have your job and then you quit. You start writing a book. Yeah. So where do you go from there? So you go from writing a book to uh, leadership coach and executive coach. So fill in that gap for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Um, nice little timeline we got going. So I would, I wrote this book. It was called getting comfy, your morning guide to daily happiness. Comfy is a five-step acronym where you wake up and you focus on these five buckets in the morning to take control of your day. Right. And it's, it's self-development, it's personal growth. And it really turned into not just a morning routine, but a mental mindset routine for anything stress or anxiety inducing. Right. So I realized that with that platform, I could speak to high school students about preparing for exams and preparing for public presentations. I could do the same for college students. I could do the same for um, people in business, right? So I started speaking little by little, little by little, mainly free speaking engagements. And it was great. You know, I did podcasts a little bit as well. And I love talking about what I was doing. But after doing a podcast, after doing a speaking engagement, I would get maybe one, maybe two, you know, sometimes three, if I was lucky, emails from people saying like, I would love to work with you on creating what you just taught us. That mindset routine, that comfy routine, and even, you know, being coached about how you approach life, right? So it was a form of life coaching where people would ask me to, to, to help and at the time, I was so focused on just adding value that I was, you know, come on in, have a phone call with me, free chat, free this, free coaching, whatever it is. And I wasn't thinking about a business model at all at that time. So I was helping a ton of people and I was getting so much out of it that I said, you know, which out of the three methodologies like writing, speaking, um, coaching, do I think I can create a sustainable business around? And I think at that time, it was coaching because I could work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I can charge a certain price. I can maybe get them to come back. I can offer uh, courses and things like that and create a coaching business around it. So that's when um, I had been doing it for about six months. I kind of sat down and said, what would be my most lucrative strategy for this coaching business? And it was to sort of bring back my old skills from the business world, from starting companies, from my master's program that I did and, and get an executive leadership coaching certification where I could work with the startup founders, which were people that I was, you know, and I could right. speak my own experiences and, and sort of guide them in a different direction that I took, maybe some of the same directions that I took. So I got this certification by a top executive coach in the world, Marshall Goldsmith, stakeholder centered coaching. And it's this leadership coaching 
where I was helping leaders in their behavior, right? And I was able to use the book. I was able to use past business strategies. I was able to use all things and experiences that I had in the past to help people who are much like myself. So that's where the transition was. And that I did that until uh, basically the end of 2018. So what do you, is that what you continue to do now or what's your, what's your play now? Yeah. So the end of 2018 was a crazy time because the end of November, I had this chance encounter in an Uber. The story goes where we were driving down the East river in New York city. I saw a boat called cloud nine. I asked him what cloud nine meant to him. And he gave me these amazing stories about the day he got married, the day he had children, the day he left his home country to come to New York, the day he made enough money to leave New York and go back to his home country and all these great things where I kind of realized like, wow, cloud nine is our, or are these momentous occasions in our life that we can look forward to. Right. And how can I guide people to a cloud nine life? That's basically what I did with my first book, but I decided to create something around these stories that he told me. I actually wrote a fictional book in the next couple of weeks. I wrote a fictional manuscript all about these life events that we could have. And in order to start getting more insight into what they were, I started asking people, you know, what does cloud nine mean to you? When did you feel like you were on cloud nine? And at first it was, you know, the wedding day response. It was the, um, the big accomplishment at work response, the great exam in college response, college graduation, law school graduation things that you'd expect. But then people started to say that they're on cloud nine every single day and they have a cloud nine moment where they're at the dinner table with their family or they're in this state of meditation or they're going on a run and their mind is just totally clear and they're on cloud nine. Right. And I realized that cloud nine is actually something that we need to try to attain every single day. And that's what I think I can coach people toward. Right. So I use the executive leadership coaching in my cloud nine coaching um, but ultimately it's more so of what is our purpose ultimately and how do we work and feel like we are aligned with that purpose on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis and, and on a lifetime basis. So that's what I'm doing with the cloud nine coaching. Um, this book that I mentioned is coming out in six months from now. Um, so that's going to be a, a fictional personal growth book, which is super cool. And then uh, I'm also doing these podcasts and I'm going to start the speaking engagements for the cloud nine as well. So that's the business model for cloud nine living, which is my company at the moment. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome, dude. So yeah. what is, what has been kind of like the hardest part or maybe the lowest point that you've had where, you know, things just weren't clicking. And, and like you said earlier, you were just kind of like, man, maybe I should just get a regular job. Yeah. So it was, August of 2018 and it was kind of at a plateau point right where I mean it's different because this was a book and a speaking and it was all based on me it wasn't like I had a company with a product or anything but it was about six months after my book had come out and it was there was no more flair involved with it there's no more excitement of doing new things I felt like I was constantly saying the same thing about the book all the time and the coaching was getting stale and I wasn't getting new clients and I didn't really have a strategy moving forward. 
And I had this conversation where one of my mentors said to me, so you need to double down and become the comfy guy. Like that was the book title. So you need to become the comfy guy and you got to go all in, right? Something about that just didn't jive with me, you know? And I said, I think I need to find something else. I need to do something else because I don't want to be known as the comfy guy my entire life, you know? I don't think that's it for me. Like, yes, this has, been, this has been an enjoyable journey and a great ride, but I don't think the continuation of this journey is going to be as beneficial. Gotcha. So it was then that I kind of said, you know, like, I think I should just go back and start applying for jobs with the intention of having a job at least that's more meaningful and purposeful. Um, so yeah, that was a really difficult time. And, and the reason why I didn't ultimately do that was because of another mentor that I had. And I went on a run with him in Central Park in New York City and I was expressing to him these doubts that I had about what I was doing and the journey that I was taking. And he put it in such simple terms, man. It was like, this is all I had to think about, right? He said to me, are you hungry? I was like, first of all, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, it's five in the morning. I'm not. <laughs> He's like, no, like, are you, are you on the streets begging for food? And I said, no, absolutely not. And he said, okay, do people love you? I said, yeah, of course. And he said, finally, do people support you? I said, yeah, definitely. So then he said, can I curse or no? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So then he looks at me and he goes, why the fuck would you do anything different than what you're doing right now then? Right? So I, it was that simple for me, man. And it's, you know, I have people who love me. I have people who support me. I'm not going to be homeless out on the street. So why would I not right now at this point in my life when I don't have a wife, when I don't have kids, when I don't have too much financial restriction, why would I not go for what I want to do and go 100% at it? Right? right? So that's what I thought in that moment. And I think it just took him, a guy who was successful in deviating from the norm and doing something on his own to ask me those simple questions and sort of wake me up to, Hey, you knew this was going to be a long-term play. It's been six months, man. Like that's not long-term. Yeah. You know, long-term is five years. Long-term is 10 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For it every single day, you know? So, uh, that was my reevaluation period. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I, I fall into that trap too of, uh, yeah. not really, you know, forgetting to think long-term mm. and, um, yeah, definitely relate to that, but let's let, what's the flip side of that? So what's been a moment where you just kind of like fist bumped and everything just clicked? What's that? What's that high moment for you? Yeah. Well, I try to have those as much as possible. I really do. Um, I think for me, it has to be something where somebody was implementing my strategy. There's something with a coaching session, but actually I'll, I'll rather tell a story that you may not necessarily always think about, right? When you're doing something on your own and building a brand, right? And it's actually responding to negative criticism, right? And if you look down to the bare bones of everything that I'm doing, it's all based and rooted in positive psychology. And how do we reframe situations so that we are aligned with meaning and purpose, so that we're living uh, our most meaningful lives, so that we are constantly reframing situations and looking at them through a different lens with perspective and appreciation and gratitude rather than judgment, right? Rather than disdain. So the story goes, uh, 
I was probably seven or eight months into the whole book thing. You know, I overcame that hurdle of uh, wanting to go back into the traditional job. I was in the middle of getting the Marshall Goldsmith certification and I had 78 five-star reviews on Amazon for the first book and things were going super well. I was, you know, talking to a lot of people sort of reinvigorated by that chat with the guy outlined a whole new strategy for what was going to happen. And then I was sort of hit with this dagger, right? And it's funny because I look back and even at the time, you know, I said like a dagger, not really. It was a three-star review, my first three-star review. And I remember the review said, uh, this book is fine. You know, it's, it's properly written, but there's absolutely no need for it to have been written had this kid not just listened to his parents when he was growing up. Right. So a little jab, but, uh, I had a choice, right? I had a choice to, you know, block this user. I had a choice to get frustrated. I had a choice to badmouth this person, but then I also had a choice to deploy the principles that I was teaching other people. Right. So instead of answering her with contempt, I answered her with a question. I said, you know, what parts of this book did you like? How can I improve for the next time? Where exactly did I go wrong? And I got this person to respond and we had a great conversation and we got on the phone and ultimately she kind of said, you know, like, I'm not going to change my review, but you are onto something, right? You are a person who I can see becoming somebody in this world, right? Because you are practicing what you preach. You are truly you know, getting comfy with this situation. Right. So I think that was really one that stands out for me where I kind of said, okay, you know, what I'm trying to tell the other people, it has some merit and this is why, because it's applicable to situations and I was able to apply it on my own and understand that this kind of stuff does work. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So I saw on your profile as well, you had, um, TEDx speaker. So yeah, touch a little bit on that. How did you get that gig and how yeah. did that go? Yeah. So it's all this common theme man. it's all about connections and relationships and authenticity and adding value. Right. So with those four things in mind, uh, there was also a little bit of creative strategy, I guess. So this was December of 2018. I said, okay, I want to do a TEDx talk. I think that would be a great stage to present my ideas. It'll give me some credibility. It'll allow me to share my message with a, a widespread audience. So I did a little research. I contacted some TEDx speakers. I had conversations with them. And then I looked at the TEDx website and I basically found that TED talks were given to speakers three to five months in advance. So that was my first like criteria I had to uh, comply with. So I looked at talks that were three to five months in advance. And then I'm here in New York. I didn't want to fly to go to a TEDx talk. So I said, okay, they have to be within three to five miles driving from where I'm at right now. So that broke things down more. And I basically had like, I think five to 10 talks where they fit the criteria. So on the TEDx website, you can actually go to the event and see who's organizing the event, right? So there's this, there's this book that I read recently, or sorry, that I heard about recently called The Third Door. And 
the first and the second door approaches would be, okay, figure out the event and then, you know, apply online to whichever event it is, the TEDx event, right? But I decided to choose the third door. And the third door for me was basically utilizing my strengths and my assets and my presence on LinkedIn. So that was the social media platform that I've been growing on for about, at this point, like eight months now. So I, I looked at the organizer and I looked them up on LinkedIn and then I did my research on them on LinkedIn and I sent a genuine connection message asking them what was going on in their lives, what I could do for them to help with the presence that I had been creating on LinkedIn. And, you know, a couple responded. So I got into some conversations. I tried to come from this place of authenticity and, and wanting to help what they were doing. And then ultimately the conversations just sort of weave their way into, and I also saw you were a TEDx organizer. I, you know, if you ever wanted to consider me as a speaker, here's what I can talk about. Here's a video of me speaking in the past, right? Just providing them with no reason to say no, basically. So two of them ended up saying here, we'd love for you to apply online. I didn't get those two, but one connection I made ultimately said, you know, your, your message would really resonate with the audience that I think will be there. Please come and do this TEDx talk. So at Clinton middle school in Clinton, upstate New York in Clinton, New York, uh, I gave a talk based on getting comfy with the uncomfy, which is all about how to you, how to use the five COMFY principles to feel more confident in scenarios where you are getting outside your comfort zone. So that's how I got the talk. And again, man, it was all about the relationship that I was able to build. Right. It's, right. it's so important. It's so key. So I've heard you mention that a bunch of times thus yeah. far. So like networking, building relationships, using that to leverage, uh, to get to where you want to be. Yeah. So, um, I guess, can you give kind of like some actionable tips, say someone, see someone on LinkedIn or, or online somewhere where they, okay, I want to connect with this person. I think this person can help me. Right. What's that first step It's totally cold. There's no referrals or anything. What's that first step I need to take? Right. So yeah. So, so something else with it is that it's sometimes you have to get creative, right? So it's that third door strategy. So that's something I can highlight in just a, a couple of seconds. But the first thing I would say is to do your research. It's all about preparation, 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 before even contacting the person you want to get in touch with, right? So if I was reaching out to you, right? Like, does this guy have a podcast? Oh, yes, he does. Maybe I listen to an episode, get to hear how he communicates with people. Maybe he had a guest on who I know. I get to bring that up in my message to him, right? Oh, where did he go to school? You and I, we chatted before, you know, we have a mutual soccer buddy who went to NJIT, mutual soccer friend who is on the girls LaSalle team, right? So maybe I can bring them up in the conversation and you do your research until you can find mutual interests and commonalities that will get this person to say, wow, like, I think this would be a good person to chat with. Right. And it's funny because, you know, if you go back 50 years, like you'd probably get arrested for stalking for doing something like this. <laughs> but in this day and age, we have the resources available to us. So why not use it in a not creepy way? So that's, that's what I would say first is to really do your research and then craft a meaningful response. Um, sorry, a meaningful message that will elicit a response from this person. Right. Yeah. So it's, it, yeah. that's, that's what it's like. And 
the, the last thing I'll mention, which is actually something I, I came up with yesterday, is one of my mom's favorite phrases in cold outreach is the worst thing that can happen is if you say no, right? Right. But for me, what I thought about yesterday was like, the worst thing that can happen is that they'll say no if you have presented it in the best way possible, right? So what I mean by that is following what I just said, right? If I wanted to reach out to, to you, David, and I said, hey, we got to get connected, uh, and that's it, right? I didn't reach out to you in the best way possible. So the worst thing that can happen is not really that you're going to say no. It's even worse than that. It's that you're probably never going to want to connect with me, right? Because I gave off a terrible first impression. Mm -hmm. So if you are at least giving off the best possible impression you can in your cold outreach, then the worst thing that can happen is they don't answer or they say no, but it'll never be a deal breaker, right? If you right. put it out there in the best way possible, you can always have a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, right? Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so real quick here. So yeah. what's, because I know there's probably a lot of kind of habits and daily rituals that you do and you teach, yeah. um, but maybe a lot of times I think, and I I know this from personal experience, I try to take on too many habits mm. at the same time and it just gets yeah. overwhelming and I drop them all. Yeah. So for anyone listening right now, what would you say is, is the most important, maybe like one or two really important habits that you should be doing every morning, every day? Yeah. So, oof. One or two, that's tough because I got a five-step morning routine. All right, well, just go brush over that. Then. Let's do <laughs> so, it. so comfy, uh, comfy stands for calm. And, and basically, the, the reason why comfy, you'll see with the words, they're buckets, right? They're not demands. So the, the concept came from The Miracle Morning, which is a book that Hal Elrod wrote. And his acronym is SAVERS, silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. And like you, it's funny you brought it up in this way. I tried to take on all six of those, right? As my morning routine. And I kind of said like, ooh, visualization makes me a little bit like on edge. Affirmations sound a little bit odd to me. I think writing in the morning, I think reading in the morning takes up too much time and it hurts my eyes. I want to go back to sleep. So like maybe I just have a couple of these in my own approach. But as I sort of implemented in the, them into my own life, uh, I realized that in telling other people what they should be doing, I didn't want to make it a demand. I wanted to make it more of a recommendation. So anyway, C stands for calm. With that, you can do things like yoga. You can do things like meditation, going for a walk, washing the dishes, doing your laundry, things that are sort of mindless where you just wake up and you sort of just easily transition into the day. O stands for openness, and this is like your gratitude journaling. You're reaching out to other people, saying you're grateful for them. Uh, you write down what you've accomplished. You write down what you're afraid of, right? It's basically a way to overcome the stress and anxieties of keeping everything bottled up in your mind, right? M stands for movement. This, for you and I, who both come from the athletic world, movement is everything. And at this stage of my life, it's all about really waking up my brain. Uh, rather than the, the physical effects it has on my body. So movement is huge. A walk, a run, a weightlifting session, huge. Um, F stands for funny. This is, to me, if you said you know you have to just choose one, F would be it. 
And the reason is because smiling is everything. You know, I ask myself three questions at the end of every single day. One of them is, did I smile more today than I did yesterday? Because serious things occur in life. You and I are out, we have some ambitious goals and the listeners have ambitious goals and they need to take what they're doing seriously. But the only way to have the right perspective is by not taking yourself too seriously. So making sure that you every single day are laughing, that you're smiling, you're trying ways to get other people to laugh, to smile. I think that is going to provide the perspective for you that sort of ensures that like this podcast, you know, the journey is more important, is more meaningful than the ultimate destination. So that's what F stands for. And then Y, Y stands for you or your passion or your choice. And it's just a way so that in the morning or before anything that's a little bit scary, uh, you're focusing on yourself. So I always say that you can be the most selfless person in the world, but if you're not coming from a place where you're working on yourself, you're not going to be able to help others in the way that is optimal, Mm -hmm. right? So you need to focus on you and uh, do something that you want to do rather than what you have to do before going into that thing that you have to do, which in our case, you know, is the rest of the day. So those are the five steps. Um, and the one, like you said, the one or two that I would, ha- I would really encourage you to pick up is to just get smiling as early as possible. You know, watch a funny video, scroll through a funny meme, write a, you know, I don't know, reach out to your funniest friend, see what's going on with them. Yeah. Just get, get smiling in the morning and the rest of the day is going to feel so much more positive and optimistic, right? Uh, I'd say that's the biggest thing. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, um, what's, your, what's the book going to be called that's, that, that's released in six months? Yeah, so it's, it's called The Journey to Cloud Nine. Okay, cool. Yeah. So keep an eye on that. If you're listening, put that on your list six months from now or whenever I release this episode. Yeah. Um, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so it's journeytocloud9.com, all spelled out, journeytocloudnine.com. Everything and anything you want to know about the Cloud9 interviews I've been doing, I've been creating 90-second Cloud9 stories of people explaining these moments of joy in their lives. I've got the coaching information on there. I've got the book information on there. And I've got my contact information on there. And uh, whether it's LinkedIn, which is my biggest social media platform, or email, or my phone number is probably somewhere on the internet, uh, I respond to everything. So please reach out and I'm always happy to chat. And uh, that's it. Dope, dope. Yeah. Well, thanks for hopping on and uh, everyone listening. Hope you got some, some value out of that and I'll catch you guys next time. Hope you have an awesome day. Thanks, man.